You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. But really what we find amazing about Umm Salama, and this is why the followers of Ahlul Bayt have so much respect for her, is her special status with Ahlul Bayt. She was one of those believers who stood with the Ahlul Bayt and she defended their rights. So she observed the Quranic command to be with the Ahlul Bayt and to express her love, the mawadda for the Ahlul Bayt. And she implemented the will of the Prophet, Quran, and my family, she really stood by those two. There is a hadith in the book of Bihar that says Umm Salama took care of Imam Hussein after she was born. So she had a special, after he was born, he had, she had a special relationship with Imam Hussein. After Imam Hussein was born, she helped Lady Fatima in caring for him, in raising him. So imagine how close she must have been to the Ahlul Bayt. And in fact, she was so close to the Ahlul Bayt that according to one hadith, the Prophet told her she is from the Ahlul Bayt. The Prophet told her, Umm Salama, you're such a noble lady, you are from us, the Ahlul Bayt. Just like the Prophet said to Salman, Salmanun minna Ahlul Bayt, right? Salman is from us, the Ahlul Bayt, giving him that honorary title. Umm Salama also had the honor of achieving that honorary title. There are a number of important hadiths that Umm Salama has narrated. The first one is the hadith al-Kisa or the verse of purification, how it was revealed. So Tirmidhi, Tirmidhi which is the Sunni book of hadith narrates from Umar ibn Abi Salama. Who's Umar ibn Abi Salama? Umar the son of Abu Salama. Who, who is he? Umm Salama's son. So he's Umm Salama's son who narrates this hadith. He says, when this verse was revealed, Allah has willed to purify you, the Ahlul Bayt, a thorough purification and to keep any uncleanliness away from you. He says, this was in the house of Umm Salama, my mother. The Ahlul Bayt were gathered there when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. And that's when he called on Fatima, Hassan and Hussein. And Imam Ali السلام, of course was there. He covered them with the cloak. And then he mentions in Tirmidhi, remember this is a Sunni hadith. He mentions that Umm Salama came. She was so excited about this new position that Allah was given to the Ahlul Bayt. She said, Ya Rasulullah, wa ana ma'ahum ya Nabi Allah. Am I also amongst this Ahlul Bayt? The specific designation of Ahlul Bayt? According to Tirmidhi, what did the Prophet say? You stay where you are. You are on a good path. He respectfully told her no. <laughs> Politely said no, you cannot join us under the cloak, but you are on a good path. You're a good woman. So this is an, a hadith that Umm Salama has narrated. She testifies how the verse of purification was revealed and she testifies that what? That only those were included. The wives of the Prophet, they're not included. So we see her honesty there. Did you have a question? Another interesting hadith that Umm Salama has mentioned in Sunni sources, 
such as the book Mustadrak al-Sahihain by the Hakim Nisaburi, Tabaqat ibn Sa'd, Tariq ibn Asakir, different wordings and you know phrases, but we'll go with the version of the Mustadrak on the Sahihain by Al-Hakim al-Nisaburi. So in this hadith, Um Salama says, one day the Prophet he was lying down to sleep. Suddenly he awoke. And he looked hesitant. There was something disturbing him. Then he slept again. Then he woke up with feeling anxious, like having anxiety. And basically, when I saw him the next time that he woke up, he was holding in his hand a dust that looked reddish in its color, red dust, red soil in his hand and he would basically take it from this hand to the other hand, inspecting it. I said, ما هذه التربة يا رسول الله? O Messenger of Allah, what is this dust? قال أخبرني جبرائيل. جبرائيل informed me that he, and he pointed to Hussein, he shall be killed in Iraq, he shall be massacred. So I told him, Jibrail, can you show me that dust on which my grandson Hussein shall be killed? So Jibrail got me some of that dust and he gave it to me, I'm inspecting it in my hands. Who mentions this? Um Salama. In which sources? Sunni sources. So she's one of the narrators of that special feature of the dust of Karbala. In another hadith that At-Tabarani narrates in his Mu'jam, Sunni historian, Ibn Asakir mentions in his Tariqh, and a number of other, uh, you know, historians. This is also from Um Salama. She says, كان الحسن والحسين رضي الله عنهما يلعبان بين يدي النبي صلى الله عليه وآله. Hassan and Hussein were playing in the presence of the Prophet. في بيتي. They were in my house. فنزل جبرائيل. جبرائيل came and he told him, Oh Muhammad, your Ummah is going to kill this grandson after you and the, and and basically pointed to Imam Hussein alayhi The Prophet cried and he held Imam Hussein, he embraced him and he pressed him towards his chest. Then the Prophet says, The Prophet smelled the dust of Karbala and he says, this is a land of trials and tribulations. Then he told Um Salama when he gave her the dust, he told her, Um Salama, I give you this as an amana, as a trust. When you see that this dust turns blood, Ya Um Salama, if one day you see that this dust transforms into blood, then know that my son has been killed. Um Salama put it in a container, like a jar, Qarura in Arabic. And she would look at it every single day after Imam Hussein left Medina. And she would say, one day you were going to turn into something great, blood. This is mentioned where? In Sunni sources. So you see that there's something special about the dust of Imam Hussein. Those who accuse us of innovation, here you have in your books, the Prophet 60 years, almost 60 years before the martyrdom of Imam Hussein is crying on Imam Hussein and he even inspects the dust of Karbala and he smells it and he tells Um Salama, keep this as an amana. one day you will see it turn blood.
but they've abandoned the sunnah of the Prophet in showing that care and concern for Imam Hussain Today go to Masjid al-Haram, go to Masjid al-Nabi on the day of Ashura, you don't hear a word about Imam Hussain and how he was martyred unfortunately. Another hadith that Um Salama has narrated, have you heard the hadith Aliyun ma'al Qur'an wal Qur'anu ma'a Ali? And they shall never separate until they meet me at the Hawd, at the pool on the Day of Judgment. Well, she's one of the narrators of this hadith. And this is mentioned by Sunni sources, by the way, not Shia sources. Ibn Asakir in Tarikh Dimashq, which is a Sunni source, he mentions this hadith from Abi Thabit, Mawla Abi Dhar. Abu Thabit was a servant of Abu Dhar. He says in this Sunni source, I went to see Um Salama, so I saw her crying and remembering Ali ibn Abi Talib. And I heard her say, she, as she was crying, she says, I heard the Prophet state, Ali is with the truth, and truth is with the haqq, and they shall never separate until the day of judgment. So she's one of the narrators of this very important hadith. Al-Hakim al-Naysaburi in Al-Mustadrak, which is a very important source, he says, he narrates another hadith from who? Abu Thabit, the servant of Abu Dhar. He says, I was with Ali on the day of Jamal. But when I saw Aisha on the other side, I started having doubts. So I have the Prophet on the other side. Am I on the right side? Should I just leave the battle? This is just a fitna. But then at noon, Allah removed all doubts from me and I knew to stand with Ali ibn Abi Talib He says then later I went to Medina and I came to Umm Salama, I visited Umm Salama. I told her, look, I'm, I've not come here for you to feed me or give me any money or have any hajat, I don't need anything from you. But I want to tell you something, at Jamal, this is what happened. Initially I had doubts, but then I felt confident that I should fight with Ali and I fought with Ali. What do you say? You're the wife of the Prophet. You must have heard many things about the Prophet in your private home. So tell me. She told him, Ahsant, you did good by siding with Ali. I heard the Prophet say, Ali is with the Quran and the Quran is with Ali. So your decision to stand with Ali ibn Abi Talib is something that was sanctioned by the Prophet And this is where? In Sunni sources. That demonstrates Imam Ali السلام, was on the haqq. And we have by the way many, many other narrations. Al-Qanduzi al-Hanafi, he mentions in his book, Yanabi al-Mawadda, a beautiful hadith uh, from Umm Salama about the virtues of Imam Ali السلام, and how the Prophet says, you know, uh, to Umm Salama, he tells her, Ya Umm Salama, hada Aliyun ahabbi. Oh Umm Salama, follow and love Ali ibn Abi Talib. His flesh is from my flesh, his blood is from my blood. He carries my knowledge. And until the end of the hadith, she mentions the virtues. And she would narrate that the Prophet many, many times, especially at night when people were sleeping, he would bring Ali ibn Abi Talib to her house, to her room. And he would tell her, Umm Salama, can you go to the neighboring room? I have a private discussion with Ali ibn Abi Talib and I would see them in the darkness of the night. I, should, I would hear the Prophet whispering, whispering, whispering to Ali ibn Abi Talib. Later I would ask him, what is that? The Prophet would say, I am giving my knowledge to Ali ibn Abi Talib. Um Salama also testifies to that. 
how close the Prophet was to Imam Ali After the death of the Holy Prophet we find that Umm Salama stands up for the right of the Ahlul Bayt and she's very vocal. She actually confronts those who confiscated the rights of the Ahlul Bayt. In one example, when Fadak, when the land of Fadak was taken from Lady Fatima by Abu Bakr, Tabari narrates, a Sunni historian, Tabari narrates that Umm Salama stood up in the presence of Abu Bakr and she said the following, You have the audacity to say this to Fatima and to reject her claim and to say what you said. She's the heavenly one amongst the humans. You have the audacity to argue with Fatima. Are you claiming that the Prophet made inheritance unlawful to her without informing her? Because what was the claim of Abu Bakr? That prophets do not leave inheritance. So it's haram for their children to claim what the prophets had in terms of inheritance. Prophets are not like other people. Any money they leave behind is for the poor, for the Muslims, not for their inheritance. That was Abu Bakr's claim. Um Salama is saying, are you saying that the Prophet made his inheritance unlawful as you claim and he did not inform Fatima? When the Quran says, When the Quran commands the Prophet, start with your relatives. Teach them about Islam first, then go to others. So if this was really a law in the Sharia of the Prophet, Fatima would have known about it. How come Fatima doesn't know? And she says, no, I should inherit. The Prophet never said that you will not inherit me. So if this was really a law, the Prophet was obligated by Quran to start with his own family and tell them that they did not get inheritance. Now Abu Bakr couldn't take the next step and say Fatima's lying, the Prophet told her but she's lying because the Muslims would have probably dragged him down from the pulpit had he said that because everyone knows Lady Fatima does not lie, that was a given. So his argument, you didn't hear him, I, I heard him, I, I heard him say that, maybe you didn't know. So Um Salam is telling him she didn't know, the Quran says start with your family. The Prophet, if this was really Allah, he had to start with his own family. So we find that Lady Fatima uh, she was defended by Umm Salama. Umm Salama really stood up for Lady Fatima. She's the best of ladies, the best woman. What was the consequence of this? Tabari narrates this. When she stood up for Fatima that year, when Fadak was confiscated, what happened? There was an amount of money that was given to the wives of the Prophet by the Caliph, right? Abu Bakr that year denied her that, man, that money because she stood up for Lady Fatima So we really find Lady Umm Salama being courageous and defending the rights of the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. Lady Umm Salama also had a very important educational role after the Prophet. 
Um, yes, she did stick to her house and would engage in worship, but she would also um, mention hadiths to those who would come and learn from her. And Lady Fatima would narrate, uh, Lady Um Salama would narrate from the Prophet, she would narrate from Lady Fatima, she would narrate from her first husband, Abu Salama. And so many, many people heard so many hadiths from her and they would narrate it to other Muslims. There are some researchers who say we have 378 hadiths from Um Salama that have survived us today. So you can imagine what an important role she played in spreading the teachings of the Prophet One woman, 378 hadiths, that's a lot. Most of these hadiths are about Islamic laws of worship, such as you know, tahara, purity, prayer, zakat, fasting, hajj, and so on and so forth. It's mainly about that, these 70, 378 hadiths. So we find Umm Salama playing an instrument, instrumental educational role. Another very noble position held by Umm Salama is that she avoided siding with Aisha when she mobilized people to fight Imam Ali and Basra at the Battle of Jamal. Aisha comes to Umm Salama after Uthman is killed and basically she meets Umm Salama and she tells her look there has been a fitna, Uthman has been killed and there are people who want to seek revenge. So people are meeting in Basra in order to resolve this matter. If you come and join me, I have hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through us, He will bring reconciliation to the Muslim Ummah. So come and join our army. Against who? Imam Ali alayhi salam. What was Umm Salama's response? Umm Salama's response was the following. She told her, look, our role as women is not appropriate for this. You want to be pious, you care about the Muslim Ummah, stay put, stay in your house, be pious, lower your gaze, be chaste, be modest. Allah has not commanded you or me to mobilize an army, that's not something God wants from us. And that's not something the Prophet wants from us. So Aisha gives up. When Aisha gives up and she could not convince Umm Salama to join, Umm Salama writes a letter to Imam Ali and she tells him of these events, Oh Ali this is serious, Aisha and others are mobilizing an army against you and then she says the following, she says, Ya Amir al mumini لَوْلَا أَنْ أَعْصِيَ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَأَنَّكَ لَا تَقْبَلْهُ مِنِّي لَخَرَجْتُ مَعَكِ وَهَذَا إِبْنِ عُمَرِ وَاللَّهُ لَهُوَ أَعَزُّ عَلَيَّ مِنْ نَفْسِي يَخْرُجُ مَعَكِ فَيَشْهَدْ مَشَاهِدَكِ She sends in her letter to Imam Ali, she tells him, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, I don't want to disobey Allah by leaving my house, getting involved in these matters and I know you would be upset if I were to join you. So you understand why I will not join you because I have to stay put as the Quran tells me in Surah Al-Ahzab But here's what I'll do, the flower of my heart is my son Umar 
Umar the son of Um Salama. She had a son by the name of Umar. She says, the flower of my heart is my son Umar. I will send him to support you and fight along your side. And so Umar, the son of Um Salama, he goes and he joins <coughs> Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, and in fact he was trustworthy, the Imam appointed him as a governor in Bahrain, then on Faris, Persia and in a number of other places. Look at this beautiful role that Um Salama plays. I mean, I can't come and fight and support you, but I'll send my son. Truly what an honorable and noble lady she was. And then after the battle of Jaman, Um Salama rebukes Aisha. This hadith is narrated by who? Bayhaqi, Sunni scholar and historian. What does he say? He mentions that after the battle of Jamal, when uh, Aisha came back, she went to see Um Salama. Um Salama had taken an oath, halafat. These are the words of Bayhaqi. Um Salama had made an oath, I would never talk to Aisha after Jamal. She had made an oath. So Aisha came and she said, Assalamu alayki ya Umm al-Mu'mineen. Aisha is saying salam to Umm Salama. Peace be upon you, O the mother of the believers. What was the response of Umm Salama? Remember, she took an oath not to talk to Aisha. She said, Ya ha'id, alam anhaka, alam aqullaka. She looked at the wall and she said, wall. Didn't I tell you not to go? Didn't I discourage you from going to the battle? She didn't want to break her oath, so she wouldn't talk to Aisha. She looked at the wall and she, she talked to the wall. Qalat Aisha, Aisha said, Look, I'm repenting. Yeah, really, repenting. <laughs> Let's look at other indications if she really repented or not. There are sources when Imam Ali was struck, she showed a reaction. Go and read history. When the son of Imam Ali Imam Al Hassan was brought to be buried by the by his grandfather, she showed another reaction. Go and read it, and so many other reactions. What kind of repentance is this? In any case, she tells <laughs> Um Salama, "I repent to Allah. So forgive me. Talk to me. Yes." Yes, when Fatima al-Zahra was also martyred, she showed a reaction. Go and research history and see what kind of reaction it was. I won't comment here. So after Um Salama hears Aisha asking for forgiveness, you know, uh, Um Salama did not budge. She did not, she did not give in. She kept saying, Ya ha'it, alam aqullak, alam anhaka, oh wall, didn't I tell you to go? فَلَمْ تُكَلِّمْهَا حَتَّى مَاتَتْ Bayhaqi says, Um Salama did not talk to her until she died. Until Aisha died because Aisha died before Um Salama. Do Muslims know about this? Oh no, they're all Ummul Mu'mineen, they're all infallible, they're all good and follow all of them. How come? How come two Ummul Mu'mineen are so upset with each other? One of them does not talk to her for life. And remember the hadith of the Prophet the Prophet says any Muslim who does not speak to his fellow Muslim brother or sister for three days is not a Muslim. Remember Um Salama knows about this, yet she did not speak to Aisha, why? What did Aisha do for Um Salama 
to take such a drastic measure. She fought the Imam of her time. And this was an appropriate response from Usalama. It, show, it shows you she was a woman of principle. And remember, Aisha had power. You could get in trouble with, with treating Aisha like that. She's the daughter of the first caliph. She had political support from a lot of people. Usalama had no political support. She didn't have a political power, like political position like Aisha did. Remember that. Yet Usalama, she challenges her like that. And this shows that she was really courageous and she cared about the truth. Another stance that we see from Umm Salama, her concern for Imam Hussein salam when he wanted to leave to Iraq. She comes to the Imam salam and she expresses her concern, her love for Imam Hussein. Remember one hadith states that she helped Lady Fatima raise Imam Hussein. So she was really close to Imam Hussein. Imam al-Baqir in one hadith he states when Imam Hussein wanted to leave to Iraq, Umm Salama sent after him, I want to speak to you. Imam al-Sadiq says, She raised him and the dearest person to Umm Salama was Imam Hussein. This is a testimony from Imam al-Baqir She was the most compassionate person with Imam Hussein Furthermore, my dear brothers and sisters, Umm Salama was so trustworthy. Do you know that all the possessions and the trust of Imamat were entrusted with her when Imam Hussein went to Karbala? See, the Prophet before he passed away, he gave his special possessions to Imam Ali. The ring of prophethood, the special sword of the Prophet, these are divine items that only prophets and Imams could have. Imam Ali before he was struck or as he was being martyred, a shaheed, he gave all of that to Imam Al-Hasan. Silah Al-Imam, the weapon, the special weapon of the Imam that repels even shayateen. The Imams had weapons that would repel even the jinn, the shayateen. They had special books of knowledge that they only had access to. So the previous Imam would hand over all these special items to the next Imam. Well, Imam Hussein is now going with the next Imam, Imam Zain Abidin, to Karbala. And remember, Karbala, everything would get confiscated from the Ahlul So who do you leave it with? In Medina, Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiya was there. Uh, the, son, the, the husband of Lady Zainab, Ja'far, was there. Many members of Bani Hashim were there. But who does Imam Hussein choose to give these special items? Um Salama. He gives it to Um Salama, he tells Um Salama, these are the special items of prophethood and imamah. No one has access to this. Store it with you until my son Ali ibn Hussein Zain al-Abidin comes back, then give it to him. Look how trustworthy Um Salama was in the eyes of Ahlul Bayt and how much respect they had for this wife of the Prophet and we should respect her too. So we find that Um Salama really was very trustworthy and after the Battle of Karbala, the author of Usdul Ghaba, a Sunni scholar, it's a, it's a book about the companions of the Prophet. He narrates that one of the narrators, he went to see Umm Salama and she was crying. He asked her, Umm Salama, why are you crying? 
She said, I saw the Prophet in my dream and there was dust on his hair and his beard. And I told him, Ya Rasulullah, what happened? What's the matter? The Prophet told me, just now I witnessed the killing of Hussein. This is, remember, a Sunni source that's mentioning this. And after the battle of Karbala, she would actually hold eulogy sessions, majalis, to commemorate uh, Al-Imam Al-Hussein and she died just a few years after Karbala. Some historians say she, she died year 62 of the Hijrah or 61, so one to two years after the battle of Karbala, Umm Salama passed away and most historians believe she was the oldest surviving wife of the Prophet. So the last wife of the Prophet to die was Umm Salama at age 84. In year 61 or 62, she was 84 years old. Any questions about Umm Salama and her role? So those uh, other Muslims who are critical of us, that you don't pay respect to the Prophet's wives, they are the mother of believers, no. Umm Salama is one of those wives that we fully, fully love unconditionally because she really stood with the truth. And that shows you, my dear brothers and sisters, we don't have a personal problem with these figures. If the Shia had a problem with the wives of the Prophet because they were wives, well, then they should hate all the wives of the Prophet. Why is it that we love Umm Salama and we're critical of others? Why? Is, is Umm Salama related to me any more than anybody else is really? What? We don't have a personal problem. We are encouraged by the Quran to go after the Haqq. Umm Salama respected the Prophet's wishes. She implemented the Quran. She followed the path of truth. We love her. We respect her. We believe that loving Umm Salama is part of Iman. And if any Muslim hates Umm Salama, there's a, there, his faith is incomplete. I'll say that very strongly. So we don't have a personal problem with some of these wives. It's their stance, their actions that's, pro that's problematic. Otherwise, Umm Salama, we put her on our, on our head as they say in Arabic. <laughs>